This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. In our last episode, we covered transportation, where we learned how road construction can literally pave the way forward in the climate change battle. On today's show, we're going to learn about some alternative ways to fuel the transportation industry. For long-range transportation, we need a more energy-dense thing than lithium-ion batteries, and that's hydrogen. Hydrogen is the most energy-dense thing there is on Earth. Actually, not on Earth, in the universe. There's nothing more energy-dense than hydrogen for carrying energy per molecule, per mass, per weight. Ah, hydrogen. It's been touted as a green energy hero because it emits water vapor instead of carbon dioxide or methane. But it's not always green in the way that it's produced. Bill Gross is the founder and CEO of a company called Heliogen, which produces green hydrogen. He said that when it comes to finding renewable energy sources, hydrogen is important, not only in the transportation of the fuel, but also in powering transportation itself. Well, I I don't think people realize how important transportation is to our livelihood and to the world. Obviously, globalization is being impacted by things. when, When things shut down, people feel that there are shortages. I think the world would come to a stop in about two weeks if all ships were stopped because we couldn't get our energy from one place to another. That's how critical it is. Like We only have about two weeks of supply if everything stopped moving around. Renewable energies like hydrogen are not a new concept by any means, but they have dominated the international conversation recently. As Gross pointed out, the world has become increasingly interdependent. We've seen this in the supply chain issues first caused by the pandemic and now by the ongoing war in Ukraine. Despite economic fallout from the pandemic, global investment in renewable energy has grown. Towering wind farms and solar fields stretching as far as the eye can see are popping up throughout Texas, now a hotbed for renewables. In a stunning electoral victory in Australia, in an election driven largely by concern over the climate emergency. The European Commission is proposing to speed up the EU's transition to renewable energy to help and reliance on fossil fuels from Russia. As we've seen, uh, Russia has instrumentalized energy over the last past month, if not to say years, to put pressure not only on Ukraine, but also on the European Union. And we are now really determined to get out of the dependency of Russian gas. There are several kinds of renewable energies, including solar, wind and hydroelectric, just to name a few. We'll come back to gross later on in the show, but right now we're going to focus on solar energy, specifically how more communities can gain access to it. I'm Talib Vizram, and this is World Changing Ideas, where we investigate how leading innovators are solving our most challenging issues. This season, we're looking exclusively at climate change and what's being done to try and save the world. About three years ago, renewable energy was starting to enter mainstream consciousness in a real way. Investment in new energies far exceeded that for fossil fuel power. Budweiser put out its Super Bowl ad with windmills in the background. And Laura Zapata was ready to make some change happen. So when I found myself back in Tennessee, just having lost a a, a political campaign um, as the communications director for that campaign, I I sort of thought, what to do next in this moment? Zapata immigrated from Columbia to Memphis, Tennessee when she was 10 years old. 
She said her upbringing as a Southern Latina was very important to her. So after losing a Senate campaign, she decided to give back to her community. There, she founded Clearloop, a company that aims to clean up the electricity grid by 2050. She saw that the grid has the second highest carbon footprint in the United States and wondered how she could help boost the solar and wind technologies that were already in existence. But a major question was, how were they going to get the funding to back more of those projects? Okay, if government's not going to be where we find the answer to help us tackle climate change and invest in this community that I care so deeply about, then how do we do this? Along with her co-founders, including former Tennessee governor Phil Bredesen, Zapata devised a way for smaller companies to enter the carbon offsets market. Sound familiar? It's kind of like what a previous guest of ours, Zach Pariza, does with his forestry carbon offsets company, NCX. Zapata explained that the majority of renewable energy projects today have some sort of third-party backing. Those third parties are often big companies like Google and Facebook. What we said was, what if we instead have money down like you do in a house? So what we're monetizing is the environmental attribute of those projects. And so what we're saying to companies is that when you build a solar project, there's an environmental attribute that comes out of that. You can either count it for it as a renewable energy credit, so it's the megawatt hours that are produced, or you can count what is the avoided carbon that actually happens. By plugging into a brand new solar project, companies are helping to clean up the grid. And because of the purchase power agreement Clearloop uses, smaller companies can invest in the solar projects too. For every metric ton of carbon you want to avoid, we can attach a number of watts that you're helping us build. And so that's the transaction is any company of any size that wants to offset a metric ton of carbon or a portion of their carbon footprint can help us subsidize a number of watts that then help us essentially crowdfund the construction of a solar project. Zapata said it's actually not very different from what she did on the campaign trail, because it's sort of like the investor company is contributing to help Clearloop collect enough funding to finance the rest of the campaign, or in this case, a solar project. What was interesting about it is that we didn't know what we didn't know. So we're not experts. We weren't experts in sustainability or renewable energy. And so it just felt like, you know, we're, we're bringing our experiences to the table and sort of building a model out from what we had experienced before. And then didn't realize that it was such a such a big innovative thing to bring to the to this lens. Just a very different perspective and a different experience led to an innovative way of thinking and looking at the financing of a solar project. And so it's not so revolutionary in that world. It is very revolutionary in the renewable energy and sustainability world that you're sort of taking all of these different private companies, no matter what size, getting them to fund a portion of the solar project and then being able to have enough money down to finance the rest of the project to go build it. In addition to clearing out carbon from the grid, Zapata stressed that Clearloop focuses on the economic impact of each solar project. How exactly is this investment helping the local community economically? You're looking at distressed communities and sort of seeing very clearly, because if, if anybody who's listening has you know sort of followed intersectionality and social justice, these things are, are sort of very much uh, tied together, right? The places where that have been under-resourced and where the investment has been the sort of false choice between investment and their health and well-being and the communities where we still 
don't have um, access to clean energy. And so what we looked at when we started overlaying those two factors, we started seeing very clearly that right here at home in the middle part of the country is where we could not only get the most carbon when you actually build a solar project, so it really matters, this concept of emissionality, it really matters where you build because you can get the most carbon out of the grid. And then two, that um, we can see solar as an economic development tool where communities are looking for any sort of investment. And so this investment in clean energy infrastructure is really meaningful. Clearloop's first project was in Jackson, Tennessee, and it has since expanded to Panola County, Mississippi. Zapata said one of their main goals is to form a connection between these communities and the companies investing in them. Residents in the community are exposed to the potential that these solar projects can have in their town. Things like job opportunities, becoming an electrician, or training in the operations and management of a solar energy farm. And then on the flip side, companies investing in these projects are now exposed to communities that they wouldn't have necessarily thought of before or didn't have a connection to because their headquarters are somewhere else in the country. And so for us to be able to be, you know, continue to be good neighbors and good stewards, I think that the winning and losing happens at the local level. And so to have these very welcoming communities is going to be really key. And being so intentional about how we're seeking them out is also really, really important because this is a story of not just carbon footprints and this big planetary problem that we have, but really focus on the people problem of um, how do you bring more more people to the table that may or may not be thinking about climate change day to day, but economic development and, and economic opportunity and getting left behind is a real pain point. I think that we get really caught up in trying to figure out exactly the exact solution that we all have to go follow, right? There's lots of very sexy new things that are coming online, like carbon removals and direct air capture, and all of those things are really important, and we need to do all of them. But we can't forget about the practical solutions that are going to be helping us at scale. And so those key things are going to be really important for the success of all of us as we come up with innovative and practical solutions to help really attack climate change because it's here and uh, we are going to need all of us to dig in and bring some slightly different and innovative perspective and it doesn't have to always sound so sexy for, for it to be real and tangible and doable. When we return, we'll check back in with Bill Gross, the founder of Heliogen, and find out how he plans to turn back time. But first, a quick break. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Bill Gross has cared about renewable energy all his life. When he was a teenager in the 1970s and the Arab oil embargo caused gas prices in the U.S. to soar, he started studying everything he could about alternative resources, renewable energy, solar, wind, you name it. Gross took all of his entrepreneurial experience and formed Heliogen. The company uses computer science and engineering to make renewable energies more of a reality. How can we replace fossil fuels in a very cost-effective way so that businesses will actually switch 
not because you're pleading with them to do it, but because they want to do it to save money. And of course, they'll also eliminate emissions. So my path was really a long and winding road of entrepreneurship and caring about the world to try and make this positive difference. So people have often said that we need to avoid the green premium. And I completely agree. I feel we need to have a green discount. If it's actually cheaper, energy is so important to the world. Energy is so important to society. It's built into everything around us. It's our comfort, our convenience. It's our materials. It's everything. So if energy is more expensive, we can't get more of the things that we want. And therefore, I feel the whole focus has to be on price. Energy is a commodity where price really matters. And if companies can switch to something that actually saves them money, then you have win-win across the board. Then the CEO can win because they can say that they're actually reducing their emissions. The CFO can win because they can say, I'm actually going to increase my earnings. So I feel it's all about using science and technology to find a way to beat that price of fossil fuel. Gross explained that it's been hard to beat fossil fuel prices because it's so cheap. But now solar and wind are beating that price. He said they're now the cheapest electricity produced in human history. The problem with solar and wind, though, is that typically they only produce their power when the sun is shining or when the wind is blowing. So Heliogen is all about coming up with a way to store that energy so we can produce the power even after the sun goes down. Because heavy industry, which is where Heliogen is focused, heavy industry runs 24-7. You don't find any factories that shut down and only run one shift, that they're trying to be the lowest cost provider, especially in mining and materials and minerals. They're running all day long, cement making, steel making, aluminum making. They have such a large capex for their factories, they can't afford to stop when a cloud comes or when the sun goes down. So it's really about taking the same breakthrough that caused solar and wind to get cheaper than fossil fuels. It happened in around 2018, but only during the day. We're taking that same breakthrough and extending it with clever storage and other techniques so it extends all day long. When it comes to finding a winning strategy in the renewable energy game, Gross believes there's a secret weapon. It's something called Moore's Law. So everything in life has a value that has fluctuated in cost over time. It could be, you take a look at any commodity, it could be aluminum or steel or beef or coffee or fuel. Those commodities always fluctuate in time. There's one commodity in all of human history that only goes down and goes down every year and has gone down every year for 50 years, and that's the price of computation. Computation is following Moore's law, getting more transistors on a chip per dollar every year. And just to give you one vivid example of that, a gigaflop is a measure of amount of computing power. It's a, a, a billion computations, mathematical computations per second. A gigaflop in 1984 in a Cray supercomputer cost $46 million. Today, you can buy a gigaflop, that same amount of computation in a Sony PlayStation for four cents. So it went from $46 million to four cents. There's nothing in human history that went down trillions of times in cost like that. So why do I say that's important and why is that a secret weapon for renewable energy? Well, if you have something that's gone down trillions of times in cost and is still going down every year, how can you use that in your fight against these really cheap fossil fuels you dig out of the ground? How can you use more computation, which is basically becoming free, to solve a problem that enables you to compete? And that's what he did at Heliogen. The company installed acres of mirrors on a large field and used enough computing power to point all of those mirrors so precisely that they reflected the beams of sunlight from a whole acre of land down to a single spot, similar to the size of a basketball hoop. 
So we set out to figure out how to use computation with cameras and feedback loops and all of the computer vision systems and artificial intelligence that's available today that takes a huge amount of computing power, but so what? If it costs four cents, it doesn't matter. So we tried to use computing power as our weapon to drive down the cost of renewable energy, and we succeeded. And that's what Heliogen is based on. Another trick to Heliogen's approach is storage. Like I mentioned before, one of the major downsides of solar power is the simple fact that the sun goes down and cannot keep powering devices and machines. Heliogen was able to cut through that problem by using rocks and sand. We take that heat and we direct it into a storage tank full of rocks or sand. Rocks and sand are very, very inexpensive. You can make them very, very hot, almost like a pizza stone in your oven. You can make them very, very hot. And if you insulate that tank, like a little silo filled with sand or rocks, gravel, you know, very, just ordinary old rock, you can store so much thermal energy in that that it will stay hot for a week. So even if the sun doesn't come out the next day, or even if a cloud passes over, imagine again, a thousand pizza stones in an oven where you close the door after you've heated them up, those are going to stay hot for a very long time. It's the same thing here. We're storing thermal energy, which is very, very inexpensive to store. Electricity is very expensive to store. You need high-cost lithium-ion batteries with very rare elements and cobalt and nickel and, and lithium, which is prices going through the roof. But we just need gravel, which is basically dug out of any old quarry because we're just storing the heat, not the electrons. And by storing the energy inexpensively, it's what allows us to continue running through the night because we can take the heat out of the rocks anytime we want. It allows us to run on cloudy days. And of course, it allows us to run through any other kind of interruption. And that is what's crucial for industry. That's what's crucial for the world because we all want to have uninterruptible power. We want to have power when we need it. And our storage system built on that collection of that energy to the high temperatures is what makes it possible. All right. Mirrors reflecting solar power and heat being trapped by sand and rocks. Makes sense so far, but let's back up a bit. Hydrogen can be made several ways, and like I said at the top of the episode, it's not always in environmentally friendly ways. Traditionally, it's made from natural gas, which emits CO2 in the process. Heliogen's approach is green, though. So the problem with current hydrogen is there's plenty of it. It's just that if you want it, you're going to be cause pollution. So the trick is, how do you, make, how do you get hydrogen on Earth? and not release any C. You don't want to release any carbons into the atmosphere. And the, what, the biggest way to get that is to split it from water. If you split hydrogen from water, H2O, the only thing that goes into the atmosphere is O, oxygen, which is great, totally fine. So it takes a lot of energy to do that. So right now, if you want to split H2O and have perfectly green hydrogen, you need either a lot of electricity or a lot of heat. You need one of those things to put in the energy to get the hydrogen off. And then after you have the hydrogen, you can store it, use it, move it, and burn it again. But when you burn hydrogen, it releases nothing. It releases just uh, water vapor to the atmosphere. So that's the beauty of hydrogen. It's the only fuel that does no harm when you burn it. Right now, it causes harm when you make it. But if you can make it from water, it causes no harm when you burn it. So our whole goal is to make 100% green hydrogen by splitting it from water. And our edge in splitting hydrogen from water is that we have very low cost thermal energy. We have that heat that we made from the sun, which when we made that heat, we didn't burn anything. It was only heat, you know, pure, pure sun, sun rays made that heat. And therefore we can take that thermal energy, combine it with what's called a solid oxide electrolyzer, 
solid oxide electrolyzer can take heat and green electricity and then use that to split water, making hydrogen and oxygen. So that is what we plan to scale. As we scale that, we will drive down the cost. Our goal is to drive down the cost and make that cheaper than the dirty hydrogen. Gross really wanted to drive home this idea that right now, green energy is viewed as a premium and not a discount. He said once green hydrogen is cheaper than dirty hydrogen, the whole world will switch. But in order to do that, thousands of companies need to try and break that barrier. We feel we have an edge because we're doing it with the sun. The sun is a great way to do it. And, and concentrated sunlight is a great way to do it. But it's important that humanity achieves this. This is the way to make a sustainable civilization. Green hydrogen is the way to power civilization because it's a fuel that we can transport and move around. Electrons that you make from a wind or solar farm are great and can be used locally, but society needs fuel that can be moved all across the globe. First, we need to move it from one place to another for our transportation systems. And secondly, we need to move it to places that aren't sunny. So, uh, for example, you know, Japan has a huge demand for green hydrogen. They don't have a lot of land with a lot of sunshine, but they have a lot of demand for energy. And they can import green hydrogen because hydrogen is a molecule that you can put on a ship. Electrons you can't put on a ship. Electrons you have to use when you make them. But a molecule you can move, just the way we move our fossil fuel molecules around right now. So that's why the hydrogen economy is so important. That's why it's so important to get the price down. So obviously, electric cars are making a big impact. Electric cars have a limited range. Um, the range is now between 100 and 400 miles or so. Uh, if you want to have a ship go across the ocean, 400 miles isn't going to cut it. If you want to fly across the continent, 400 miles isn't going to cut it. I think that batteries and lithium ion are an incredible innovation for our mobile devices, for our computers, and for cars for short range transportation. We have built a society that survives on goods and energy being transported from one place to another. And that's why we really want to keep that alive, but we want to make it green. And once we make it green, then we'll have something sustainable. Even though there are oil and gas projects being planned for the future, these massive carbon emitting projects called carbon bombs, Gross is hopeful about renewable energy taking the lead. He says it all comes down to winning on cost. As the economics become better, the capital will flow to the projects that make the higher returns. And if renewable projects make higher returns, that will solve it without any legislation. So, of course, you could solve these things multiple ways. You can solve it by fiat. You know, someone could pass a law and say you can't build those here. And in some places, that is happening. But that doesn't scale to the whole world. The way you scale to the whole world is you just make it economically better to do something else. People will shift when you make something economically better. You know, just pure competition. And right now, most people don't know this, but the fossil fuel industry has huge subsidies. It's $5.9 trillion a year. It's $11 million per minute that fossil fuel companies get in the form of subsidies. So if that playing field was leveled so that renewable energy projects had the same level playing field as fossil fuels, it would happen sooner, but it's going to happen anyway, even with that gift to the fossil fuel industry. Now, why did we subsidize those so much? Well, we subsidize those so much because people's energy price matters to them a lot. So governments want to help people have lower price energy. But what we need to do is subsidize everything equally or subsidize everything with zero so that the true winners can really prevail and that way we'll really drive down the price for everybody in the long run. As we've talked about before on the show when we explored the moral hazard, emissions are like giant trash piles filling the atmosphere. But instead of reeking and being an eyesore, it's all invisible. 
Well, until recently, when hurricanes, fires, and soaring temperatures of up to 130 degrees Fahrenheit started piling up. If CO2 were black, it would probably be a lot better because people would be able to see it. But governments could put in place a trash collection fee, basically. You know, people talk about it as a carbon tax or a carbon emissions, some kind of fee for throwing your trash up into the atmosphere. Everybody on Earth makes about one pound of trash per day that gets put in landfills. So there's 8 billion people alive. There's about 8 billion pounds of trash put in landfills. Everybody on Earth makes about 31 pounds of trash, I'll put trash in air quotes, up into the sky. We each have 31 pounds of CO2 trash we put up into the sky. So we're putting 31 times as much junk up into the sky as we're putting into the ground. That's a lot. Everybody on Earth, 31 pounds per day. Gross put it in even starker terms. This decade is where it all collides. From 2020 to 2030, humans need to start redirecting the course we're currently on. We've heard that before, that we need to avoid hitting 1.5 Celsius, but hearing that we're in the decade of reckoning was extremely sobering. What are the odds that in the history of all of civilization, we, you and I talking, and we, all of us on Earth today, would be alive in the decade where this is happening and where it has to be solved? This is pretty much it. I mean, basically between 2020 and 2030 is when we have to do, take this huge action to reverse the direction. In the whole span of human history, there's this 10-year window where we have to do this. No pressure, though. And and we, here we are, working on it. And I feel both scared but honored that I have a chance to be working on it and devoting my life to trying to make a positive change here. And Heliogen is so focused on that. And, and uh, uh, it's great motivation. Like, the people who work at our company come to work every day excited because this is what we get to do. Like, we don't get to just talk about it. They get to do things where they feel the work they're doing could have an impact on that. And that's really exciting. We definitely have our work cut out for us, but it's heartening to know that people like Zapata and Gross are actively working to help our planet avert an even worse calamity. That's all for our show today. If you liked this episode, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And let us know what you think is the next biggest world-changing idea. World Changing Ideas is produced by Avery Miles. Mixing and sound design by Nicholas Torres. Audio supervision by Joshua Christensen. Editorial oversight from Deputy Editor Kate Davis and Senior VP of Entertainment Scott Nevis. <laughs> <laughs>